Jordan is on best. Harper's on middle. Play together, they believe. Um, if there's Levert, it's cold. Levert, back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man wrecking crew. Holiday, shot clock down to six. Finds one. Welcome to another edition of the Indy Cornrows Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler, joined by my lovely co-host, Tom Lewis. Uh, Tom, the people are saying that uh, the Pacers played a basketball game tonight. Um I'm not entirely sure, uh, based on how things went, that they, they actually played. Uh, first of all, how are you doing? How, how are things on your end, man? Well, I am lovely, indeed. And, uh, yeah, they, they were there. They they played. Most of them were there. But, uh, you know, physically, at least. So, uh, it, it got rough, that's for sure. It was, it was uh, not a fun watch, as they say. Yeah, yeah. Um... I, I I don't really know where to start with this one, to be completely honest. I think uh, the way that I would I would sum it up um, is well, not even summing it up, but just to put it in a, in a microcosm, put it in a shell of, of what was going on. Uh, TJ McConnell was the only guy who could consistently get his own shot tonight, and uh, that's I mean that's just not going to get it cut in in, in the NBA. Um, and honestly, I mean they were still really close. Uh, it, until you know the fourth quarter hit um they had that good stretch at the beginning of the fourth quarter and then things kind of fell apart from there um i mean no they had a bad stretch at the beginning of the fourth quarter but they had a, you know they really uh, yeah it was uh it was a game um it i i think you know it's funny because i talked about this with caitlin um not too long ago i think about a week or so ago when that report you know came out about how the Pacers and again it's just I think I want to say it was the from Vincent Goodwill of uh, of Yahoo um, saying that the Pacers had been looking at moving Malcolm Brogdon or that they were fielding uh, calls on Malcolm Brogdon I should say Mm -hmm. Um, I remember that was the correct thing because they were uh, confident in Karis LeVert and his ability to handle the playmaking load moving forward Um, well I think tonight is a really good indication of that that just the the reporting in that not saying that Vincent Goodwill is wrong because he's a good reporter, um, but just that that is probably not the case, or at least I don't think it should be the case because me and the front office are not watching the same games. If that's the line of thinking, <laughs> yeah, and to me that is is crazy. I mean, I don't know. I mean, have you ever thought of Karis Levert as, you know, a combo guard, potential point guard type guy. I mean, I'm always like, he's a two or a three. I've always thought of him that way. Maybe that's just because of his size. But, um, yeah, it, if you were going to flip the rotation over and expect um, Levert to be your, you know, the guy running things, I, I'd be very uh, hesitant with that. I mean, he, he – you know, he's all right running things for himself, but, you know, he he's actually, I think, better moving off the ball and, and getting himself set up to um, get his offense going as opposed to trying to get everybody going offensively, obviously. Um, so, uh, yeah, it, it, uh, that, that definitely isn't a, a long-term option that uh, I'd want to entertain. Yeah, I, I've always thought, too. I mean, I think – it'll depend just how things shake out. Like I think he's going to end up being 
Um, I mean, depending on what the team looks like next year, like not that I'm expecting any major changes, you know, right off the bat or anything, but um, I think just his, he's probably, I mean, close to the best ball handler on the team, at least in the starting five. Um, I mean, I think it's close between him and Malcolm, but he just has like slightly better floor vision, I guess. I, I don't know. It's hard to really judge what he's doing because he still isn't himself. And I, I, I do want to say that to people right off. Um, like, I, I get it. He has really struggled. He has not looked right offensively. I think he had a better game defensively tonight than he's, he, he's had. He's been better yeah, defensively right. the last <laughs> couple games than, than he did to start the year. Um, still not great, but I mean, offensively, it's going to take a while for him to get back, I think. Um, and I think we kind of underestimated that, not you and I individually, but just in general, I think. Um, but I also don't know quite what the ceiling is going to be with him offensively. I I, I don't know. Um, I, I It's just so hard to analyze with him or, or what to think with him. He had a really rough game uh, handling, turning the ball over a couple times, not, not just a couple times, but four times. Um it really felt like it felt like one of those games, like watching Vic play when he he was coming back, and his handle kept, you know, he kept crossing over into his left leg. Um, mm-hmm. Karras did that like two or three times tonight, and it looked like he just wasn't back. Um, I don't know. Do you get kind of the same feeling? Because he had that he had a, he had the stretch in the third quarter where it looked like he was taking over a little bit, like he was going to make a run, and he had a couple of nice nice plays. He got to the rim, um, but a lot of his uh, individual play has been, you know, settling for, I don't want to say settling, but like taking pull-up jumpers from the range, he hasn't hit super well from there. Um, his best games have been when he's able to get all the way to the rim and he's tr- kicking out, tr- driving everything for, for everyone else. Like like the Detroit game, I think is like, that, that was like the perfect Karis game so far. Yeah, and again, yeah, I just don't feel like he, you know, He's a guy that you you want being the the point guard, for lack of a better term, uh, guy controlling all the action, you know. And, and I, I feel like he, you know he, he can he can do a lot with the ball in his hands. He, he you know as one of of more than two threats on the floor, uh, which is another you know which is another thing when you're asking him to to play that role in a game like tonight where, um, you know, it's different. Even if he was in that role and Rodman was on the floor as a threat, it'd be different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, but, but um, uh, again, I, I feel like I'd rather see him as that, you know, secondary critical ball handler uh, on the floor at the, at the at, with any rotation really. Um, as opposed to uh, trying to be that primary guy. Um, I, I just think um, you're kind of asking too much and, and stretching stretching whatever they have um, in that rotation too thin doing that right now. And, and obviously with injuries and everything, I mean, I guess that's where they're at. But, um, uh, yeah, it, it's, it, it just isn't working. Yeah. Yeah, and I don't know. It's hard to because I know a lot of people are frustrated with Nate Bjorker. And, um, and I, I, I mean, I voiced my concerns with some of the uh, – or I should say criticisms instead of concerns of uh, some of the, the – the, especially the defense. Um, I mean, I, I tried pointing this out the other day to people, and I still don't know if people are grasping it. it, it I mean, Domas, uh, 
I think Domas's defense has actually gotten better recently. He's been way more active at the level of the screen. His hands have been really active. He actually, since the All-Star break, is leading the team in steals. Um, I don't know if that changed after tonight. Um, again, that's not an indicator of everything, but like he's he's gotten good at playing passing lanes. He's, he's just really active with his hands. He's doing a lot of kind of what Nikola Jokic does uh, with the Nuggets. Um, but a lot of the problem is just the guys behind him. Like, I, I just don't know how to illustrate to people. The defensive communi- communication is so bad right now. Um, yeah. And I think it, it just becomes so apparent. Like, yeah, when Miles is off the floor, the defense sucks because Miles isn't there to clean it up and there's no one else out there to clean it up unless Goga's out there. And even then, you know, Goga's still, you know, weeding his way through becoming a legit uh, high-end defender. Um just the way that the defense is set up with how much pressure and they, they put on everything and aggression they play with. Like if you don't have the right communication and guys who are able to rotate, I mean, just so often guys aren't helping the helper or rotating over to the tag, the role man. And like tonight, I mean, part of it was um, in tandem with miles having maybe his worst game of the season defensively. I felt like uh, he was just, <laughs> I mean, yeah, now, uh, it, it just it showed through. And uh, again, part of it, I, I don't even know how much of it is like the defense was bad, but the offense, it just feels like the offense being as bad as it is only feeds into how bad the defense is. Yeah, that was that. Uh, I'm glad you mentioned that real quick just because I felt I felt the same way. I was like frustrated to see Miles up there um, because, you know, Domas goes out and now it's like you really mean him at both ends. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if it was the, the you know, once again, that kind of getting in the early foul trouble, um, but it just seemed like he didn't have the will to, to you know, battle tonight. And he was, you know, had some reaching and, and just wasn't, just wasn't himself, especially off the defensive end. Um, and that, you know, that's kind of, you know, how we're judging him primarily this year is, you know, his, his most important facet of the game obviously is on the defensive end and the impact that you have and um it just didn't feel like he had it at all right um and then like you say i mean but especially when domas goes out it's like yeah he had something more <laughs> at both ends and, and so he just didn't have it so um it'd be interesting to see how he bounces back tomorrow going down san antonio you know who knows what <laughs> What roster they're gonna be running out tomorrow, but um, uh, they gotta come out with with a, a different level of of um, want to, regardless of who's out there. You know, I mean, these are frustrating losses, and you can you know pin the um, you know the excuses on a lot of them with you know last second injuries and guys have been out and guys haven't played together much. And, you know, LeBert's coming back from injury, working things out, all those things. But there's a level of, uh, you know, effort and execution and, you know, want to that doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter who's on the court, you know, and you you can see that or you don't see it. And um, there was those stretches tonight where you didn't see it, you know. I mean, like you said, it was, they were just down six with, like, five and a half minutes left in the day. And then just whoop, went away. Yep. And there was a little resistance. And, um, you know, that has unfortunately become uh, a, a chronic issue here. Even at the end of the half, I, 
I kind of joked. I was like, did the pitchers think this was the fourth quarter? Because it just faded right beyond the half. Oh, it was gross. What, 16-5 close to the half? Of all the players uh, on the Hornets that I expected to hit three threes in like two minutes, it was not <laughs> Miles Bridges. I can tell you that much. Right. Um, he's had a great year to be completely honest, but that, yeah, that was, that was killer, especially the shot that he hit right yeah. before the buzzer. Um, I mean, it's tough too. like something that I wonder a lot with miles, because I mean, that was one of the few games we've seen of him like that this year, even when he's You're not right. yeah. having things going offensively. Like, I think that's, what's really been different for him. Um, like, it's not like he ever would be like super disengaged defensively or anything, but like, he's been so sold out in his role. Um, but I mean, I I noticed this in doing a a, a bit of a dive uh, a couple of days ago. I mean, he's taking like eight shots per game. It maybe even a little bit lower since the All Star break, and some of it is him not. Uh, I mean, he has passed out of some open looks, but it's not the same as last year, and he's just not getting the same. Like, I I know he's not a great post up player, and he he didn't score out of the the one mismatch that he got tonight. But like there are so many times we, we didn't get to talk about this on pod, but there was there are so many times like um, which game was it? I think it was the Wizards game. Like he had a great defensive sequence, runs his ass off down the court, posts up Jerome Robinson, who I think is six foot four, six foot five, has a wide open mismatch with nobody around him in the post. And then they don't find him. And like you can tell that he gets visibly frustrated. He still spaces out to the corner, doesn't get a three second violation or anything. But like. It's little things like that where I really think they have to find some kind of balance because they're they're already seeing right now. And I have no idea how this works. Like, not to say that I think it's going to fail, but like, I just have no idea how things play out with TJ Warren back. Like, how do you find enough shots for the entire starting lineup? And it's not even about like guys being selfish or anything. I think it's just like, I mean, guys have to touch the ball to, to feel engaged. Like, there, you, you, you can go three or four minutes with miles on the floor and he doesn't even touch the ball on offense. Um, and I, I like, again, he's not a great offensive player, but he's shown this year that he's got the ability to do more. And I, I just think they have to find more opportunities to, or, or at least try and, and make something work with him because clearly, I mean, no, nobody else has anything working. So, <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know. It's not that cut and dry. It's not that simple. You have to get your perimeter players going because they're the ones who are handling most of the offense, but, I don't know. That's something I've really been thinking about lately, the last couple of games. Yeah, and I mean, I think honestly, it, it's a team might have my issue here, though. Again, not scoring 100 points. Um, and, you know, obviously, if that DJ won, it's better for sure and everything. But, and I think the more options you have on the court, obviously, you can spread the ball around. And we've seen this team, you know, but we have the, the one game with Domas, you know, switching the thirties and driving that big nice, but they don't necessarily win. You know, they've been at their best when they are spreading the spreading the wealth and, and you know, they've got, you know, almost all the starters in double figures or close to twenty points and, and uh you know, guys up the bench scoring and for some reason right now they're just clogged up and, you know, and like you said, I mean T J McConnell was the only guy who was getting the shot. Sometimes by design, obviously, uh, by the the Hornets defense, but also, you know, I mean, he he's at least taking advantage of what the Denver um, score, but um, they they've got some offense or some 
struggles here generate best shots, I think, for everybody on, on some level. And it's just it's the whole dynamic with how this team is going is, is so different from the start of the year when it was like, oh, my God. It felt like this is almost going to be a running gun pitcher team. And, and, you know, shooting so many threes was, was uh, uh, so much different, you know, it was more consistent. And now it's just, it's like they've been figured out on some level and and the counters aren't there. And, and I mean, they're, they're in a rut right now, most definitely. And, I, you know, obviously it's a good help with help, but uh, they are, run out of time fast yeah and it's hard too because uh like i think i, I saw a lot get thrown out like oh well like the offense isn't even running anything this and that and i just that's not true um yeah. they just can't get any kind of separation like like you saw tonight like tj mcconnell was the only one who could get his, his shot because he's he's the guy who's getting the balls the play breaks down because there's nothing going offensively yeah. um and yeah it's just even with, I mean, Domas played 27 minutes and he only took seven shots. I mean, he was on his way to having a really good game. One thing I wanted to ask you, I mean, what did you think about Domas playing tonight? I know it's not necessarily like a, it's, this is not me trying to like throw blame or anything at the, the training staff or coaching staff. I think it's more like, I, I question whether Domas should play tonight. He didn't look right coming out of the gates and obviously he um, banged up his ankle pretty good too. Um, I don't know. That was I, I wasn't – I was kind of – just considering that there was, like, kind of a, a lot of questions of whether or not he was going to play coming into the game, it was a little surprising that he ended up playing. Well, I mean, I, I kind of assumed he was going to play. I, if it was, you know, if, um, what was it, quad contusion. Yeah. Obviously, um, that's different for different people um, and pain thresholds and all that, as long as there's no, you know, obviously structural issues or anything. So – I mean, I don't know if that led to the ankle sprain necessarily. Uh, no, yeah, I don't think it led to the ankle sprain. I just so, mean in terms of, like, rest and stuff. Yeah, and, and again, yeah, the only reason I thought he may not just because they have the back-to-back. Um, and yeah, so, that's what I was thinking. You know, well, maybe, um, you know, just make sure he's okay. And now, you know, it's worst-case scenario. You basically get a half a game out of him. And I would assume likelihood of him playing tomorrow is pretty low. Um, so, yeah, uh, naturally, we get the worst case scenario plays out here. So, um, but, you know, I think those guys, you know, when they go out, they, they know if they still are out for, for the most part um, with that type of injury. You know, if it's, it's not something that, um, you know, if it was a, an ankle or a knee or something, I would think differently. But I don't think I was I was that. I I necessarily wasn't that, that concerned, but obviously he wasn't 100 uh, percent regardless. So um, it comes down to you know you, you appreciate the effort, and then now you got something else going. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, <laughs> so I do want to hit on a couple couple positives. Uh, Aaron Holiday had a good game tonight. I yeah. thought, I mean, he was he was active defensively. He had some nice plays, um, and he's really good offensively too. Had some nice drives, a couple good plays out of transition. Uh, the three hit um, coming right out of the uh, the inbounds was was awesome. Um, 
I just thought he had a, he had a good game. It's just it's wild how it works out. Like he goes from like hardly even playing, uh, being out of the rotation, <laughs> to now he has a really good game and like one of the worst games that the team has played collectively this year. So it's just kind of uh, it's funny how it works out. Yeah, you know, and and that stretch he had in the first half was awesome. And I mean, he was attacking, getting the rim, and and he was in that. I can't remember all the guys that were on the, on the floor. Remember the game? It was. A, a the bench lineup, yeah. It was uh, it was him, TJ, uh, Ed, Jakar was out there for a couple minutes. Yeah, that's right. Um, that's and Goga. Yeah, when Jakar was out there, yeah. It was like, they were okay. actually the only – I think they're the only lineup that was a plus tonight. Um, all of them <laughs> exactly. finished with a positive plus minus. Um, <laughs> except, I mean, TJ didn't because he was out with the, the closing group. But I actually thought – like, not to, not to cut your thought off, I thought that that group should have probably started the fourth. That's just my opinion. Like I thought they had really good momentum. Um, I kind of was surprised that they didn't that, that that Nate didn't go with them to start the fourth, given that he's normally pretty open to giving the group that has uh, the hot hand to keep going. Yeah, I think in hindsight, we'll have to see that. Just uh, yeah, definitely, <laughs> definitely. But well, you know, and Jakar is just so active, even though he doesn't. You know, he had a few plays that he got shut down on and. And a couple of wild shots, but it's like I don't know. I appreciate the the energy and and the, the uh, disruption he brings out there sometimes. And you know, I think that type of uh, play actually helps open things up for a guy like like uh, Aaron, and and he's able to get the rim. And like I said, in that first half of a few of those plays was like, yeah, that that's the way to attack. And and um, you know, not just look for the shot. And and like you said, defensively, he was pretty active as well so um definitely good to see him have a good showing out there yeah yeah most definitely um ed continues to just really impress me like i thought he probably it's easy for me to say um just like thinking back i mean tj had a had a pretty good game but like ed was i mean the the weak side block that ed had rotating over Mm -hmm. like that was that was fantastic um like and he had the, he got to the free throw line a couple times. He continues to do some stuff as a playmaker. Um, he, he's you know driving comfortably to the rim. Uh, I, I was really impressed with his play tonight on both ends. Yeah, and you know, I you know I feel like he never gets a call. Or not never, but half the time, you know, when he shoots in the lane so quick. I mean, God, he gets banged and and goes flying a lot doesn't get the call, but, um, but he's got to be a handful out there <laughs> for the opponents. Cause he's just all of a sudden he can be going right to the rim on you. And, um, and it, again, it, it, everything he brings, um, it seems like, uh, you know, a positive out there and it, you know, it, it, it's interesting, you know, he's in the starting lineup, I think, um, it it's a, doesn't set up for the best offensive um, group out there. You know, maybe TJ would be better, but I like I, I prefer you know TJ to be in that role at, on the reserve rotation the way he comes in anyway. So I can see why they do that, um, but um, I feel like Ed is is just kind of that um, you know feeling whatever you need him type guy. And, and, uh, again, he, he, he brings that energy and it's good to see. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, he's just, 
he, he really has blossomed. Like he, uh, I think that's been one of the, the, the good parts of the season as, as much as it's been a, a bit of a struggle this season. Um, I, I think it's just been great to see him get the opportunities he has and really run with it. Um, the three hasn't fallen super well the last couple games, uh, but he's, he's confident taking them teams are guarding him doing it. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's getting stuff out of it. So I, I, I don't know. I, I'm thrilled with the developments we've seen from him and just that he's getting the opportunities. Uh, last player I want to talk about, Goga. Uh, Goga, Goga's, yeah. as soon as Ed stops hitting threes, Goga starts hitting them. Um, <laughs> Goga had a really good game tonight um, for he the did. minutes he played. Uh, I was, I don't know. What, what have you thought about him recently? Because I, I think there have been some nice, subtle improvements in his game. Well, I mean, I honestly was just going to break in at the end there as you were talking about Ed and saying that as far as development, um, another guy is, uh, you know, Goga has definitely raised his game and raised his, you know, impact being able to come off the bench there. And, you know, let's think back way to the beginning of the year when, when you know, it was survive with Sabonis playing 38 minutes a game, you know, I feel like those days are kind of behind us now with the the ability to have Gogi go out there and, and relieve um, either one of those big guys or be on his own out there um, for, you know, a few minutes in each half and, and fill that gap. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like he definitely has, has raised his level of play and, and, um, and get more comfortable offensively and, so, you know, I, I'm, I'm with what he is, he's 21, you know, any progress is, is great to see. And, you know, you, you want a guy like that to at least develop into some type of a, a role with the team. And it seems like he's getting there. Um, so, again, through through the haze of this quagmire of a, of a middle season here that we're, we're going through, um that that's one of the bright spots yeah definitely um i'm really really stoked to see how he continues to develop um and it just it brings up a lot of questions that we're gonna have to um to analyze as the season kind of goes on i guess i would say um and and um i mean we're probably right about it the two-thirds point this was game 47 pacers are now 21 and 26 uh Mm. boston Mm. i believe won tonight toronto Mm won by a lot tonight so they're not too far behind the Pacers uh Chicago I know was close in their game I'm checking right now I know they were playing Utah so I wouldn't be surprised if they lost that um I'm checking right now yeah the Bulls are behind by uh eight in in I think they're in Utah right now I can't remember um but regardless they're they're gaining ground Pacers are losing ground um so it's going to be uh this next stretch of games, I mean, the stretch that they had right here was important for for where they were going to end up yeah. seeding wise. Uh, I was having some back and forth in the timeline too. I mean, uh, draft coverage is coming sometime sooner rather than later. So, uh, and yeah. I don't know. I ultimately lean that 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 could be a good thing. Um, not just not not draft coverage. I do like doing draft coverage, but I mean, in terms of the Pacers getting a a lottery pick, but we'll see. That's there. Mm-hmm. We, we've got way too long to even you know. Wait, we've got a, a ways enough off to really before we can start diving into that. But uh, do you have any closing thoughts before we get out of here, Tom? Yeah. I mean, I, w- I was thinking about that too. I mean, even, even Charlotte's what 
only they're twenty five and twenty three now. So. Three and a half. Again. I mean, it's like they're in fourth place. It's like yeah. it takes like a, a four game winning streak to slip your fortunes here. Um, but also, yeah, you're right. Um, you know, there, there's been like talk. I know uh, JMB local and radio show is like about this is a must win for the Pacers at some point the last two games, and it's like yeah, it goes quickly from these are must win games to what does it matter games, you know, and sadly that's, that's where they're sliding into that area. Hopefully um, they can write the ship and, and at least get into that playing mode, you know, as they are right now, or at least hold that spot. Um, but yeah, we'll see if, if the, uh, the efforts or the outcomes are, Similar as they have been the last few weeks, you know, I, I don't think anyone's going to complain if they drop into the lottery at, at this point. And uh, there may be some changes on the horizon. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. Um, the last thing I will say too, I have to get the 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 Bally Sports uh, scoreboard is awful. Can can we talk oh, about no. that for a second? <laughs> it is so bad. Sure. Like it, it has to change. I, I I tweeted that out today too. I'm. So I like, is this the, the just the what the regular? I haven't seen it yet. Oh, um, you haven't seen it yet? Yeah, I was at the game tonight, and, and um, the uh, I guess I was at the last two games. So yeah, I haven't seen it. So it, you mean like just the regular score on the on the screen? Yeah, as the game's on. Yeah, it's it, it's like completely changed from from what it is. It all like. red. The thing that's killing me is like, why can't they alter the colors on that? Because it, it seems like um, most of the branding I've seen, and I know Bally's is red and white generally, but um, you would think for the network, they would be able to alter the colors for the teams. Uh, yeah, so it's not like that much red. It's just, I'm sending you a picture right now uh, on Twitter. Okay. <laughs> it's not because it, you, just, you just have to see it. It's not great. And then they they like flash uh, like random scores going on in other games on the right side of it, and it's distracting. Uh, yeah, I don't I don't like it like at all. Uh, You'll have to see it in action, and then and then we'll yeah, have I'm gonna a watch better reaction. Anyway, so I'll, I'll check it out in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I guess I, I I should probably I, I need to rewatch the game in the morning too. As much as I'm not going to be super psyched to dive into it, but I will. No, there's just a few few points in the game. I was like, what in the world? Yeah, yeah there are a couple that are worth going back and diving into that I took notes on. But yeah, we'll get into it. All right, Tom. Well, this was this was always it's always good to talk uh, to everyone listening. It's uh, it could be worse. Uh, I think that's all I can really say. I mean, it's just it's 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 basketball, you know. Uh, gotta gotta get worse before you can get better, right? Or at least I'll, I'll that's what I'll say. I gotta bring positivity somewhere in the podcast. Otherwise, who am I? Uh, have a good rest of your night, Tom. To everyone listening, of course. Thank you for listening. Uh, stay tuned because coming up, well, when this drops tomorrow, um, I preview tomorrow's game with this or i guess it would be today's game with the spurs with uh noah magaro uh george from over at pounding the rock it's a really good time stick around for that i'm amped to talk spurs with you man i'm not gonna i definitely won't share a bunch of my thoughts i'm working on a long form thing i actually had most people telling me i have to get it out sooner rather than later but uh 
I have a lot of thoughts and, and more importantly, joy with the Spurs. Uh, and I'm excited to watch them play the Pacers tomorrow, uh, which is the game we're previewing. Um, I guess I would start by asking, what has this season been like for you? I know I've, I've sat in on, on you talking sometimes, but it's more like on a game-to-game basis. Uh, I mean, did you expect this kind of season out of San Antonio at all? Yeah, you know what? Yeah, for me, this was kind of where I expected them to be in that like sort of play-in range. Um, and, and, and like obviously – Pop's a legend. He he can do whatever he wants. You know, he yeah. he's taken them to five championships, but um, you know, probably for the last two years I haven't really agreed with how he's managed the rotations and minutes for the younger guys. Um, cuz that you know, at like a certain point if if your season is lost or um, you know, clearly other the, the veterans aren't getting it done, then you know, maybe try something new, but he's always valued continuity. Um, he's always valued uh, you know, like the corporate knowledge that comes with being a part of the team for, you know, 4 or 5 years. Um, but, but, but it's been a good season, all things considered. I mean, they still have a winning record. They're still in that playing range. Uh, but overall, um, I'm just trying to enjoy it, you know, cause I, a lot of fans mm-hmm. are upset. Um, but I've, I've just had a lot of fun watching the younger guys actually, you know, kind of blossom this year. Wait. Okay. So fans are upset about how the season's going. Yeah. I mean, uh, honestly, oh, <laughs> uh, fans, Spurs fans are always upset, you know, yeah. they're, they're like <laughs> yeah. perpetually upset. Like once you win championship you know the expectations change and then when you win yeah. five in like the span of 15 years then if you're not on that trajectory then they're like yeah you, you do this you got to do that you got to do this um so yeah i mean like fans are going to be upset and it is what it is but um i, I think people who are a little more reasonable are, are just kind of enjoying the experience that is you know keldon johnson lonnie walker Dejounte murray Derek white and unfortunately we haven't really seen them all together that much because there's just been so much injury plus the covid deal so um, hopefully we get to see that by the end of the season. Yeah, no, definitely. I, I felt similarly. I, I loved like the stretch of the season when they all were playing together was fantastic. But again, Derek was only in for like one game before um, he was out again, and then we, you know, he's back now. But it's it's been. I agree. I, you're just kind of waiting for everyone to click. Um, another thing that I, I mean, just watching the guys grow and progress this year has been been awesome. Like Keldon took a step that I was not expecting. Like I knew he was going to be good. Um, I actually remember very vividly. Luckily, Goku Bataze has been – he's really starting to come into his own this year, but he was the guy that I wanted the Pacers to take with their uh, late first-round pick that year. Um, and Kelton Johnson would be, like, the perfect player on this team right now. But, alas, he's on, his, on the Spurs. Um, I think before we even talk about the young core, like, uh, with LaMarcus Aldridge, um, I think, A, the, <laughs> the, the talk that came out around him – when he signed with Brooklyn was wild to me because it just let me know people haven't watched the Spurs. Um, like, I mean, you've posted multiple times. I've, I've posted <laughs> them a few times. The the closeouts from a, from inside the paint to a three point shooter just some of the most comical things I've seen on a basketball court in a, in a long time. Yeah, it's insane. Like he's literally still in the paint and his dude is shooting a three pointer. Like he's he's trying to contest it. I'll, I'll give him props for the effort, but he's definitely <laughs> he's definitely taking a step back this year. And I also was kind of confused by the um, you know, the general like, oh, this is ridiculous. Blake Griffin's there. Now they've got Lamarcus. It's like honestly, um, I don't know how you feel about it, but like if he's playing minutes over Nick Claxton, I feel like that's a loss. You know, like to me, Nick Claxton should be out there over both of those guys, um, over DeAndre Jordan as well. So. I wasn't really understanding the hate, but I, I do get it that they're like a big name. You know, they used to mean something, and, and a lot of fans don't really. You know, most fans are casual fans. It's not even like a a drag at fans. Like most people, just they they recognize names, and they're gonna get mad if they see a bunch of big names on the same team. 
Yeah, exactly. I think that's why it's like frustrating when people who are, you know, like larger uh, media, when they're hyping it up like this, I'm like, okay, well, and it's not even that like when Marcus wasn't trying or anything, it's just like, what, he's 36 years old now. And it, him and trying to defend a pick and roll is like trying to, you know, like the, the ship that was stuck in the Suez Canal. Um, like it just, it, it doesn't <laughs> happen. It's, it, it takes forever to get it to move around. Um, I, I don't know. I guess I would say like, I think I agree. Claxton should definitely be playing over him. But like at the same time, I think some people took it too far. Like um, I think when he got bought out, I was more of the mindset because a, I, I mean, not to say that I'm like an insider or anything, but I knew he wasn't going to get traded. Like nobody was going to take that. Oh yeah. That money um, given where he's at and what he's been playing like this year. But I do think like 15 or 20 minutes a game off the bench, he could actually do something really nice for an offense. Um, and if you have like the right system in place, I think defensively, you can just try and get it as close to neutral as possible if you have enough good players around him and you just hope that the offense is so good it doesn't matter, which I think Brooklyn is like a good spot to do that. Um, I, I thought it was either kind of him or the Heat for me. I, I didn't, I wasn't super into the idea of Portland just because the uh, the defense there is already pretty eh. So like, I, I don't know. I, I just wasn't sure how that would work. But um, I guess what I ask you too, how did you feel about them not trading him last year? Because I think that was where my real frustration with the Spurs came with it, just as an observer from the outside. Like, um, it was clear to me that this team was moving in a direction that was going to involve not LaMarcus Aldridge. Um, and it, it felt, I mean, immediately last year, you could already argue that, that Jakob was, uh, was starting to outplay, outplay him, at least impact wise. And I know a lot of people would look at the stats and say, well, hey, I mean, I mean, LaMarcus had a fine offensive season, but just given what Jakob brings, defensively and as as an offensive player too i think he's grown a lot this year but i mean did you think that they kind of missed on a chance to try and sell high on him once he started uh gunning last year honestly yeah but uh, if i'm if i'm gonna be 100 percent honest with you like the second that that lamarcus and demar pairing ended up happening like that's mm-hmm. probably and I, i've said in the past but like that's a counterintuitive pairing especially in like this era of, of NBA basketball, you know, pace and space is important and you're not getting a lot of pace or space from either of those dudes. Um, and it just didn't work out that well in the first year. Yes, they, they made the seventh seed. Yes, they took the Nuggets to seven games. And I thought that was the point where it's like, all right, um, you got to move on from him, get something. And, and they didn't, you know, they didn't, they didn't move on from him. And I, and I said it earlier to you, but like pop, pop in the front office, they, they value can continuity over everything. You know, continuity mm-hmm. is really huge for them. And, you know, they've said in the past, as long as Pop is there, they're going to try to put a competitive roster out there. I mean, they owe it to him. He's been there forever, um, won five championships. But I, I definitely feel like they missed an opportunity because just like you said, they weren't going to get anything for him at the trade deadline. I mean, everybody knew they were going to be able to get him on the buyout market. His value was super low. Uh, it, it just it, it felt like they missed an opportunity. And I feel kind of the same way about DeMar DeRozan and Rudy Gay to an extent. Because their contracts are going to be expiring this year. You know, are you bringing them back? You know, are you going to run it back with them next year? I just don't think this team is that good if DeMar DeRozan is your best player. And that's no knock on DeMar, like fantastic player, but not a guy who can be the engine of your offense if you're running, you know, trying to run for a championship. No, yeah, definitely. I think those are all great points. Um, I'm really interested to see what they do moving forward with DeMar. Uh, I mean, I think Rudy is definitely, uh, I don't want to say like gone, but I mean, anything's possible, but I would imagine he's somebody who's with how he's played this year. He's still a viable player, but he's, he's taken a little bit of a dip down, but I mean, defensively, I think that's what's been shocking for me. Like even throughout his time in San Antonio, he, he got better as a defender compared to where he was, but like this year he's been like legit, pretty fantastic as a defender. 
Um, but that's come with like, as, as Zach Lowe pointed out, and I think it was 10 things two weeks ago. Um, I mean, his, his offense has really taken a bit of a step down. Um, but no, I would agree. Like, I think he, I, I expected him to get traded, frankly. Uh, I was kind of surprised it didn't work out, but um, it, I mean, it seems like they really want to go in for trying to make the playoffs this year. Yeah. And I think it's, it's like, there's, there's definitely arguments to be made. Like playoff experience is really important. And I think that's somewhat true, but I think it's mostly true if you have, you know, that guy, you know, your, your franchise guy. Like, for example, when the Mavericks made the playoffs last year, you know, they got knocked off by, by the Clippers. That's great playoff experience for someone like Luca or for the pairing of Luca and Porzingis. How valuable is it for, you know, Keldon, DeJounte, Lonnie, Devin to get knocked out in the first round in five games? Um, I, I don't know that it's that valuable. I don't know that it is, but some people might argue, you know, that's really valuable. Now they know what the playoffs feel like, but I don't know. I, I just don't, I, and I'd love to get your thoughts on that, but I don't really think it's all that valuable unless you have like your franchise guy there. Cause otherwise you're working towards mediocrity. You're going to get a, a mediocre pick. You're going to develop whoever you can. And, and I think a lot of Spurs fans are under the impression like, Oh, you got Tony at 28. You got Manu at 58. You got Kawhi at 15. Anyone can be a superstar, but that just isn't the case. Those are historical outliers, you know? Yeah, no, I think uh, I think there's like an interesting conversation to be had there for sure. Like, uh, there's there's certainly an in between. Like, I think this is a year where I personally, like, I, I know some people will definitely, uh, you know, look back at this, um, but I I would like the Pacers to maybe miss the playoffs. To be completely honest, and I'm coming from it just more as an analyst and not not, not a fan or anything. Like, um, I think they're probably one piece away even if they have you know a fully healthy roster like I think they would be good but if they can get one player out of a lottery pick who can grow with the group that they have over the next two or three years that's the one thing that I think they'd really be missing um, because they have a couple of expiring contracts coming up uh, this summer which are going to make it harder to re-sign TJ Warren if they bring some guys back um, so you know they're gonna I don't mean TJ is going to be the most important guy to sign uh, over like the next two years, pretty much. Um, and just as you know, like, like with the Spurs, like as good as the team was with David Robinson, the fact that they were able to, and I know we're going way back with this, but like, I was, I don't even know if I was, I, I think I was born by the time Duncan was drafted. Yeah. Like that was like one. So, I mean, we're, we're going way back, but like if you, if, if David Robinson doesn't get hurt that season and you don't draft him, Duncan, I mean, think about how different that is for the Spurs. Like, um, I know it's a drastic way of looking at it, but just getting the opportunity to bring in high-level talent that's going to be on a rookie-scale deal, it, it, it expands your window by a, a huge margin compared to being able to bring in guys in free agency. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and I think it's, you know, some fans want to say something like, well, if you're a lottery team, you're a loser. You know, you don't want to be in the lottery. That's not the goal. Well, of course, being in the lottery isn't the goal, but getting into the lottery gives you an exponentially better chance of finding that top in talent as opposed to drafting later. And I think a lot of people forget, like the only reason you got David Robinson or Tim Duncan or Sean Elliott is you were awful. You know, you were bad and you got lucky. Um, so I think if they, if they're happy with how the Spurs draft and develop at pick 28, just imagine how much better it could be if you're in the top five, top three. So that's just how I feel about it. I'm sure, you know, a ton of fans want to see them make the playoffs, and that's totally fair. Um, you know, 22 years of straight playoff uh, appearances is, is awesome. But, you know, it came to an end last year, and I don't think the, the goal is necessarily let's get right back immediately because um, making the playoffs is not the goal. Ultimately, if you're a team, you want to win a championship. 
Well, yeah, exactly. And I think it just brings up a good point. Like, if you want to take a step forward, sometimes you have to take a step back, especially if you're not the Lakers. Like, and I know a lot gets made out of, you know, small market, big market, all that shit. But, like, I think it's important. Like, no, I mean, LaMarcus came to the Spurs because they had an awesome organization and they were already, I mean, he was coming to like an almost 60 win team. Like, it's important. You either have that base or you're a team like the Lakers or Miami and a guy comes to you because of the market. Like, the fact that you, that the Spurs were able to pick up Devin Vassell, who's, he's probably not going to be a number one, one option or anything like that, but like a guy who's going to be a legitimate franchise changing, uh, uh, a player. I mean, like he's not, again, he's probably not going to be an all-star or anything like that, but he's already one of the better help and team defenders in the league. Uh, lights out three point shooter. He's got a lot to add to his game. Like, I mean, just getting the kind of talent like that. If you do get that first round playoff, I think I would say with this group though, it is a little bit different because now that it's primarily focused on the young group, like last year, you're still like every time Marco Bellinelli played last year over, one of the young guys, I just, I lost my shit. Um, I, I'd like, I, no offense to Marco Bellinelli, but like, it, it's, it's like, it was like seeing LaMarcus play this year. Like, he couldn't do anything defensively. What he brought offensively was like, eh, whatever. And you were just like, okay, well, there are guys on the bench who I would like to see play, like play Lonnie Walker, play Kelvin Johnson more minutes. So it's just finding that balance is hard. And I think, I actually am excited to see the Spurs in the playoffs this year, or hopefully in the playoffs, because I think this is like, I mean, with the group moving forward, I do think getting that kind of experience is good. Um, it's just important to get, you know, not not just like knowing what the playoffs are like, but you get more game reps in a high leverage situation. And um, it, it's it, it's tantalizing to think about what that'll look like. But all, all in all, I guess I don't really have an answer on it. Like you can never go wrong with adding another pick in the lottery. But at the same time, um, I really do want to see what they can do together. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it is a win-win situation. And I, and just as somebody who, you know, I, I watch a bunch of draft uh, footage, you know, I'm just trying to watch college basketball, international basketball. I'd mm. rather have one of those guys than see them run it back with DeMar, you know, because I think we know what this peak is with DeMar. And I, and, and I, I don't mean to sound uh, pessimistic because I do like a lot of what San Antonio has, but I'm looking at who they have. You know, is Keldon, DeJounte, Derek, any of those guys going to be as good as DeMar is? So if not, then what are we doing? You know, but um, it, it, we'll just have to see what they do. You know, I think the playoffs are are valuable. I think they ultimately will make that play-in game, and I think they could challenge for like the you know eighth or seventh seed in the playoffs, and that'll be fun. You know, because playoff basketball is just a different atmosphere, and um, you know maybe maybe it'll make the fan base a little bit happier, and that's always good. You know, not having as much fighting on Twitter. Um, not as much bickering, so that, that it'll be a lot of fun if they do make the playoffs. Oh, dude, yeah, trust me, I know. Uh, with the with the Pacers, they're in a really interesting spot too because they're kind of having San Antonio's season from last year in a way. Um, and the like, I mean, they're twenty one and twenty five right now, which granted, you know, not great. Um, but they're I think three games out of being in the four seed. Um, and it's oh wow, <laughs> it, yeah, exactly. That's it's it's the East, man. Uh, what can I say? Uh, but it's just interesting because fans are acting like it's, you know, like they're the, the, the like they're the Cavs this year. And, uh, so it's interesting seeing that dichotomy, like the, the Pacers and Spurs are like two, uh, again, again, like the Spurs have been, you know, higher heights, but in terms of the, probably the two most consistent teams over the last 20 years, I mean, I don't think, I think other than the Spurs, the Pacers have just about the most playoff entrances since 2000, um, but it's just like seeing how fans react to that is so different. Um, so, all right, next question I would want to ask you too, because I've been uh, I've been a little bit 
there have been ups and downs for how I felt about him being back. Uh, what have you thought of Derek White this year? Uh, because I've loved that, especially since he came back from his most recent injury. He's been just gunning from three, uh, which is something that really took place in the bubble last year and I was really hoping would stay this year, and fortunately it has. Um, but how have you felt about his overall game? Yeah, and I'm not really sure that I can judge it too well because it's like he yeah. had off-season toe surgery and then literally the game he came back against the Lakers, he injured awful. that same toe. It's like the luck for this guy and then and then COVID – happened for the for the Spurs he was one of those four players who who got yep. covid and had to sit out quite a few games and so i just don't know how healthy he is you know cuz covid can really take a, a big toll on you you know uh, your your fitness your confidence um but overall like all things considered i've been really happy you know six and a half three point attempts per game is is really solid so you're right that volume is still up um and even though his field goal percentage is down it's been trending upward in recent games so I, i'm really happy to see Derek kind of returning to form if you will last night he had a career high 29 points um career high seven threes so you know i think he he's trending in the right direction and i'm excited to see what he can do because he really is in my opinion like one of the best uh you know wing defenders in the nba you know he's just excellent at a, a lot of things you know I, I don't want to point out one specific thing but you know the shot blocking as a guard his practice of verticality near the rim um, his ability to fight back into plays. I just am really impressed with everything I see from him. And and I'm really, really hoping, you know, he continues to build momentum and that he continues to get a bunch of shot attempts. Yeah, no, I would totally agree with that. Um, it's been interesting for me too, because I am looking more to see how he develops as a, as a guy who creates in the pick and roll, because I think that's the next stage. Like you're talking about with Lamar, like that's where I come up with um, trying to figure out what to think on, on this team because um, DeMar is like there it's he, it's such an interesting like crossroads with him because I was talking about this with somebody the other day like he is so good at what he does but the the weaknesses are, are, are glaring in some regards like I think he's better than he gets credit for like I, I was posting this about this the other week and I was uh, on that piece I was telling you about I've been working on you know looking at his playmaking and how it's evolved and I, I do think he's legitimately one of the best uh, drivers and and one of the elite playmakers in the league who doesn't get talked about as one, but him not being able to be a consistent spacer and also if he if he was a better defender, the the three point shooting wouldn't matter as much. Um, but that I mean that always comes back to bite them in in some regards. But there's nobody else on the team who can create even I wouldn't say even close to the level like but there, there's guys who are one or two levels. Uh, below him, like Dejounte's taking a lot of strides this year that I've I've loved, frankly, as a playmaker. Uh, but there's nobody who you can point at and say, "Well, if Demar's off the team, you're the number one playmaker," and I'm comfortable with that. Yeah, and and, and you know, with Derek last year, he he at some point before the bubble, he was number one in points per possession out of the pick and roll as a pick and yeah. roll ball handler in the NBA. So like clearly, he has, um, you know, quite a bit of ability there. But I don't even even that said, you know, it's a smaller sample size. I'm really comfortable with Pirtle, you know, off the bench because that was mostly his role last year was yeah. off the bench. Uh, and it's taken a step back this year. I think he played a little bit with LaMarcus. He played a little bit with Drew Eubanks. He played a little bit with, um, you know, Pirtle. But he didn't really get the consistent reps with uh, with Pirtle. You know, we've seen more of those possessions go to Derek. A lot of them go to DeJounte, or um, not Derek, I'm sorry, DeJounte and DeMar. And uh, it, it'll be interesting to see because I, I think you're absolutely right. DeMar is super undervalued, but the, his glaring weaknesses as a defender, 
um, and, and his pretty much uselessness off ball is is it hurts, man. It it, it hurts a lot for the Spurs team. Uh, I was looking through B ball index's numbers the other day, and it's like the the guys ranked four hundred and fifty sixth in a defensive matchup difficulty. So you know they're they're trying to hide him every night. They're you know they're not asking him to do anything. And last night he got put on um, Bogdanovich against the Hawks and. What do you know? Bogdanovich had a career, or not a career high, but a season high twenty eight points, and you know Demar defended him on most of those possessions, and it's it's going to be really tough, I think, come playoffs to hide someone like Demar. It's it's not that easy. Yeah, no, I agree, and I think what you said about off ball is like what's most intriguing because as good as he is with the ball in his hands and what he can do for everyone else, he's just not a factor off ball. Like he's not a great cutter. Um, like I think there were times he was in Toronto, but as he's uh, dwindled a little bit athletically. Um, he hasn't been as active with that and it's been a little bit, uh, a little bit painful, but, um, to move on to like more of a brighter topic, like DeJounte has been awesome this year. I, I think, I mean, maybe I'm overselling it to an, to an extent part of it's just cause I'm so enamored with his game and the improvements he's made. I, I think he's really gotten back to the level of defense he was at in his all defense year after last year, he was just not the same, you know, you're coming off a serious injury. Of course not. Um, I, I mean, he's taking a lot more threes, which counts compared to last year. Uh, he just seems a lot more confident with the ball in his hands um, and just really decisive, too. And I, I've really enjoyed watching him grow this year. Yeah, no, I've been really excited about DeJounte. He's taken a huge step forward. And I think you're absolutely right. Like to, to, to a certain extent, like right, like last year, he was playing a lot in lineups where he was playing with both Bellinelli and Bryn at the same time. So I think that also hurts his numbers a little yeah, bit defensively. Definitely. But I think he's 100% back removed from that knee injury, you know, from, from tearing his ACL. He doesn't have any sort of holdups from that. Um, and, and he's looked really solid. I mean, his turnovers are way down. His assists are up. Uh, his rebounding has been pretty spectacular for a guy of his frame. Uh, and, and there's not really a lot of things that I, I could criticize. I mean, one of the biggest weaknesses for him was finishing at the rim. Last year, he only finished about 54% at the rim, and this year, it's like 64%. That's a huge jump, you know? That's a huge jump, and that was something he needed to do, and he's added that in his game. And every offseason, it seems he adds a new wrinkle. So of all the young Spurs, I think I would have the most confidence in DeJounte being the guy who kind of takes the leap into all-star territory, but... Um, we'll have to see, you know, I, I don't know if he can continue this. I surely hope he does because it, it's been really fun to watch his development from the time he got here as a 29th pick backing up Tony to now he's the starting point guard. Yeah, no, I agree. He's, uh, and he has some fantastic, like memeable images and, and gifts from, <laughs> from in game. So, uh, like the one when he's flexing at the end, great stuff. Uh, like I think there are so many, I don't know if you know, you probably know Emiliano, uh, he, yeah, uh, yeah. yes. Yeah. He's one, he's a good friend of mine. So he, the stuff that he always posts, I, I get a good kick out of. Um, but okay. So next thing with this team though, um, sorry, I have like so many questions about the Spurs. We'll get to Pacers stuff in a minute, but, uh, with Keldon, he's obviously tailed off a little bit since the beginning of the year, but I really like, I still think people need to, um, fully understand how much he's grown as a player and what he's done this year. Like I know it was ridiculous leaps at the beginning, the shot has definitely fallen off a little bit um, from where it was at the beginning of the year. Like, it's below league average right now. But he's still not even 22 yet. I mean, he hasn't even played 1,000 minutes in the league. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm really excited about where his future is headed with the team. But, but what would you – I mean, just to give more light to people who haven't maybe gotten to watch uh, to, to Kelvin as much, uh, what would you say has been his biggest improvements this year? You know what? Uh, I feel like – 
Keldon and oh man, I, I again, I, I hate to be like a, a pessimist, but I think a lot of things like we already saw that in the bubble. Now he's just getting more minutes. Um, you know, yeah. obviously he wasn't going to shoot sixty three percent from three or whatever it was la- last year. Um, over only the hope, course of yeah. a regular season, that would have been crazy. You know, he would have been like uh, all time territory right there. But I think in terms of what he's improved upon, his defensive, um, his defensive discipline. You know, he's not committing as many fouls as he was, at least like on a per, you know, 36 per 100 possession basis. Um, he's making he's making a ton of plays, getting deflections. Uh, and I just really like how he's able to continue being aggressive. You know, he's a guy who like if he has the ball, I'm not worried that he's going to be tentative. Um, he's going to pass up a shot. You know, he always seems like he's very decisive. Now, you know, he does have pretty bad tunnel vision on his drives. That's something I yeah. really want to see him get better at. And I actually feel like recently... He's he's made some dump off passes. Um, you know, he's kicked it out. Maybe not like the most accurate passes, but the fact that he's making strides in that area at all is is really encouraging for me. Yeah, no, I agree. I think that's what I'm really looking for next for him. Because I think in checking earlier in the year, because I remember just watching a couple of games in a row, and he uh, he was not really doing a lot in terms of passing out of drives. And I think Bebo Index had him as one of like the lowest rated wings in the league in terms of his, his pass out rate from drives, which drives with what we're seeing on court. He had some nice, he had a nice one yesterday though. It ended up not being a basket, but um, I, I mean, he, you, you can see him growing too, but I agree like him tightening up his handle, finding more as a playmaker and just kind of like, he, he reminds me a lot of where DeJounte was at too uh, last year. Cause DeJounte like very similarly, like both, Super physical, even though Keldon's got like probably 50 pounds on DeJounte, which is like what's, (laughs) yeah, it's what's so amazing to me about DeJounte because he's like, I mean, like 190 pounds soaking wet, but he's still extremely physical in how he plays. Um, I I think once Keldon's able to kind of slow the game down and slow down his drive and still use his athleticism, but more in bursts instead of just, you know, all out attack, um, that'll really help him out because that's what stood out a lot for me with DeJounte this year. Like he's, he's more crafty is the wrong way to use it, but he's just more controlled with his burst and getting to the rim. And that's, what's really helped him with instead of going up when there's three guys contesting him, he's able to uh, make the right read. So it might take longer. Cause I mean, it took DeJounte four years to get to that point, but definitely hopeful for that. Regardless. I mean, Kelvin just shows another guy who's um, looking really promising. Um, so I guess, all right, I want to ask you about, I guess two or three more guys before we talk about the Pacers um, with, uh, do I want to go super granular? For, sorry, I'll, I'll ask. With Lon, what have you thought about Lonnie Walker this year? Because he is uh, – every time I watch this team, I think – like I, I can project out or at least like see what I'm looking at with most of the guys on the roster. And then my opinion on Lonnie seems to change every single game I watch. And, and part of that is because he's wildly inconsistent at times. Like he's improved a lot in some regards. Um he just, I mean, he's probably the most athletic dude on the team, which is crazy to say considering how much athleticism's on that team. Um, but, like, just f- figuring out what he is is so confusing to me. Yeah, I think I think everybody in Spurs Nation kind of has that same issue. It's like Lonnie sometimes flashes this, like, maybe not top-end score ability, but a guy who, you know, if you need a bucket, he's going to go get it. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes he just completely disappears and – I don't know. There was a long time where he was in the starting lineup and then he was like the fourth or fifth option. And then when he transitioned to the bench, he started picking up some momentum. And, you know, I wrote an article at the very beginning of the year saying, I think Lonnie makes the most sense off the bench because he's a guy when the ball's in his hand, you know, that's when he's most engaged. Um, But at the same time, he hasn't been terribly efficient in either role. So 
I don't know what to think of him. I, I really like him. I, I, I think he's a tremendous human being, a yeah, really definitely. good kid. But but I, I just don't know where he fits in. Because one of the things that I've always said with this team is it's great that we have Derek, DeJounte, you know, Lonnie, uh, Devin, Keldon, all those guys. But there's a lot of sort of not necessarily – positional overlap but size overlap um yeah. and skill overlap and i don't know if they can keep everybody so if i had to pick somebody who they moved on from uh maybe try to get get some more skill you know uh, around the six seven to six nine range or even at center it would probably be lonnie uh and that's not because i don't like lonnie it's just to me he doesn't provide as much as other guys might like for Devin, like you said earlier he's to me, he could be like a generational off-ball defender. I don't think Lonnie has that capacity. I don't think he's big enough either to really be a terror on-ball. Um, he still gets lost a lot when he's on the court, just within the scheme of the team defense. So I'm still waiting to see things from Lonnie. It's year three. He's still very young, obviously, but um, you know his three-ball has, hasn't been as efficient as you want it to be, although it's been on really high volume, so I'll give him a break there. He also has the wrist injury right now, of course, coming right after the career-high 31 points. So he's just had a really tough spot in San Antonio, and I don't know if he's a guy who would benefit from a change of scenery, but he's definitely a guy who I would be most willing to part part ways with. Yeah, I think uh, – I, I, don't, I don't know. I haven't really made up my mind on what I would do with that, but I agree. He, he seems to be the one guy who's like um, – the, the one thing that he has going for him is that Pop really seems to, to like him a lot and has given him a ton of opportunities, at least by my eye. Um, so it's it'll be interesting to see how that plays out, but I agree. Like he, he's the one guy who you, you you just you're not sure what he's going to be, but he, he clearly has a ton of potential. And you'd say, okay, other teams will definitely be um, have have ideas or interest or um, have some sort of idea of what they could maybe view with him, uh, and definitely would have a real trade value. Um, I, I want to ask you too. All right, so less asking you more, just like let's talk about it because it's awesome. Uh, people need to talk about Jakob Pertl and how good he is. Uh, Absolutely. I think the fact that like that was what I was most happy about with with Lamarcus being moved, just for the for where the team is at and where it's going, because so much got brought up this year with uh, like part of it got thrown as shade at Demar, and a lot of it was was thrown at um, with the starting lineup in general, with how bad their on offs were, um, and then you know hyping up how good the bench on offs were. And I was like, okay, well, let's – it literally, if you just factor out LaMarcus, like almost – I think everybody except for Lonnie has a positive on-off uh, in the starting lineup w- with remaining lineups. So it's it's pretty telling. But most importantly, Jakob Pertl is like just fantastic. He's not going to lead the league in block shots or anything. Um, but defensively, just insanely good. Like some of the best footwork on both ends of the floor. Uh, he still has a lot of room to make to, – to grow as an offensive player. But like – his defense this year has just been absurd to me. Yeah, no, he's been awesome. He's been really awesome. He's a guy I've been on since he came to San Antonio. I mean, he's shown a lot of flashes, and now he's finally getting an opportunity to really do it in extended minutes. And, you know, I, th- I think you're right that he's never going to lead the league in blocks per game, but he's certainly up there. I think he's like fifth or sixth in block, like total blocks this season in the NBA. So, you know, he's a good rim protector. Um, and I had this discussion the other day. I don't know that he's like a guy who you necessarily want on the perimeter, but he does a pretty solid job um, when switched on to smaller players. Now, of course, he, he can get exposed here and there just like any big who's not like incredibly mobile and has like outlier athleticism. Mm-hmm. But he did a good job. There was a possession against Trey Young last night um, where he kind of like uh, followed him around on the perimeter 
uh, near the corner. I think it was the left corner. And and Trey ended up making the shot, but I was like, yeah, that was pretty impressive. And then he did it the other night, too, against Tyrese Halliburton, um, where he forced him into a step back three with like 10 seconds left on the, the shot clock. He like hounded him on the perimeter and forced him into that shot clock um, shot as the clock expired. So I'm really, really happy with what I've seen from Jakob. The only thing that I will say is like when I, I, some people have been like, oh, well, he's he's better than Rudy Gobert. I don't think that's the case. No, like yeah, I think when not. you think of Rudy Gobert, people are outright like NBA players are outright scared to go in the paint and challenge Rudy Gobert. I don't think anybody's scared to challenge Jakob Pertl. Um, I don't think it's a good idea to challenge Jakob Pertl, but I don't think anybody's scared of going in there. Yeah, I think there's definitely another leap for him to make as a defender where he asserts himself a little bit more. He's, he's really good at letting people come to him and deterring them from there, but um, I, I think there's definitely a step there. Like, I think his mobility is just – it's so good. Like, I actually – so I, I posted that clip of, uh, of Trey earlier today. Uh, I mean, of him on Trey earlier today because his, his footwork and mobility in that are just insanely good. But Trey makes the shot, of course, because he's Trey Young. But, like um, – and, and what I mean, too, with him not leading the league in blocks or anything, like, just he's not a super vertical guy. Um, but, yeah, but he's so yeah. good. He's gotten really good at not fouling. Um, like, that's what's been really impressive to me this year. Like, he's uh, he wasn't as bad, like, last year or anything, but just he's, he's gotten really good at uh, being able to stay tall and use all of his length without fouling people, which is way harder for seven-footers than, than it would seem. Um and I, I don't know. He's just been he's been fantastic. The the one question I would say though, um, how worried are you about the free throw shooting? Because that is the only like blight that I can find with Jakob's game right now. Obviously, he's not like a jump shooter or anything, but um, with where his free throws have gotten to, it's been uh, it's been rough. Yeah, it's been really bad, and unfortunately, Pop kind of let him have it in the press like post game presser the other night, where one of the reporters asked him. Um, you know, where is Jakob as a free throw shooter? Has he improved any? And Pop was like, no, he hasn't improved since he got here. It's been bad. And I mean, I think that's sort of telling. He took him out of the game and it, he pretty much was unplayable in that scenario. And it is a little worrying. Like you would, it's just so weird. Cause like going back to college, he was, I think his last season, he was like 64% from the line. And then his first couple seasons, he was like about 57. And you just see it steadily go down 53, then 46 last season, now 39% this year. Um, and I think it's just a progressive like loss of confidence. I don't, I don't think he actually is that bad. But yes. I think in his mind, he just is like so in his own head that he ends up airballing two three or two free throws. And, um, you know, I think it, it was a little bit overblown because we see it, you know, on like Bleacher Report. We saw it on ESPN. Um, but I, I don't think it makes him unplayable like throughout the majority of a game. You know, I think I think it's not that big of a deal, but I would love to see him get back and at the very least like 50 percent because 36, 37. That's pretty much unacceptable, you know. Yeah, no, I fully agree. Um, it's interesting too because he has such good touch. Like he actually has a he really does, nice, yeah. He has a really good floater. Like he's awesome at just kind of moving in space in the paint and, and you know taking a dump off pass from Demar Dejounte, and he's fantastic at getting it up and getting it in. But like you can see, he's like a little bit hesitant to draw contact around the rim because he he doesn't want to shoot free throws. So that's uh something I'm definitely hoping will will turn around for him because it reminds me a lot of Andres Bijerns when I was growing up. Oh, man. Uh, yeah, I know. I, I, I always – I'm hesitant to pull that kind of reference out, but with how bad it's gotten. Like, his free throw numbers have been better recently, but he's still only up around, like, 45 or 46% over the last month or so. So it's not like – it's better than shooting 22% for the first month of games, but it's uh, it's still yeah, not, yeah. not great. But it's, uh, it's progress. 
And let me let me ask you a question real quick, if if you have time for me to just yeah, kind of throw sure, something man. at you. So I, I just don't know exactly what happened, and I'm sure you've watched like a, a bunch of tape on Yaka, but in his pre-draft, obviously everybody's working on you know ways to make themselves look better. But in his pre-draft footage, you know he he went and had a bunch of mid-range shooting drills, and there was one video where I was watching. He has like 20 in a row, just like you know they're passing it to him. He's knocking it down. I don't know why he hasn't been able to build off of that, you know, because I, I for has as well as he finishes around the rim with those little floaters. He's got great touch, like you mentioned. I just don't know why he isn't able to extend his range at all. And I know that isn't necessarily like something the Spurs have asked him to do or the Raptors asked him to do. But I never thought it would be like this bad to the point where he's shooting like 30. I think I said 39 percent from the free throw line and pretty much never takes a shot outside of the paint. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's really interesting, man. I've thought about that a lot. I'm not really a, uh, I'm not really a great shot doctor or anything. Uh, but the one thing that it's so intriguing to me too, because I mean, the Spurs have maybe the best shooting coach in the league, Chip England, and they still have this kind of issue, which is, uh, it's it's just it's more telling of um, maybe some of the issues that Jakob's having than anything with the Spurs. Um, I think I would say it just seems like confidence, and maybe that's it. I have to go back and watch his shot from when he was at Utah. But I remember, like, I mean, he, he took a mid-ranger the other – I think it was one of the Sacramento games. And it's just, like, it, it, the, the shot just doesn't look right. It's, like, un, it's it, he almost, like, shoots it, like, one-handed. Like, he takes the uh, um, the offhand off before he shoots the ball, and it just looks funky. It doesn't look right. Um, but I really think a lot of it is probably his confidence, like we're mentioning with the free-throw shooting. Um, so I'm hopeful that he can turn that around because that is, like, really the only thing that's holding him back from being um, – you know, closing games. And it's not even that he's not closing games, but like being somebody you're pretty much comfortable having on the floor at any time. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree a hundred percent. And we'll, we'll have to see what happens with Pirtle. I always think it's very interesting to think like Chip England is obviously one of the best shooting coaches in the NBA. A lot of people respect him, but how, how many players does he work with? You know, cause we know that he's worked with Tony. He's worked with DeJounte. He's worked with Kawhi, but is he a guy who they say, you know, go work with XYZ player this whole season or does everybody get the Chip England treatment? So I, I kind of wonder if, if he's a guy who works with specific players throughout the season or um, if he's a guy who, you know, is more of a one-person coach throughout the year, a one- or two-guy coach. Because, um, you know, the Spurs don't give a lot of insight into what they're doing. You know, they're yeah, very quiet. Not. So I've always wondered about that. Yeah, no, me too. It's uh, it's an interesting thing to think about. And it's not something that they're going to comment on either. So it's a... Uh... It's just kind of an interesting paradox. Uh, so the last thing I would ask on for the Spurs, what have you thought of Luka Shamanich? Because um, he is, like, he's so intriguing to me. Um, I know, I like, he, he was fantastic in the G League, um, has shown real progress there. But what have you what have you seen from him on court uh, with the Spurs this year now that he's getting a little bit of run? Yeah, so recently he hasn't really played in any games outside of garbage time. But when he mm-hmm. did get minutes with Rudy sidelined, with Keldon sidelined, um, he looked pretty solid. You know, he, yeah. he was shooting the three ball fairly well, uh, a catch and shoot at least. Um, he was driving pretty aggressively. He was finishing through contact. And, and the thing that I think is most intriguing about him is really on the other end is his ability to stay with guards. He's got really quick feet, um, very good lateral mobility for somebody who's about 6'11". And there was the game. I mean, obviously, Lou Dort is not some sort of offensive savant, but he was able to stay with uh, Lou Dort the entire Oklahoma City game that he had started. Um, he stayed with a guy like Julius Randle. So I think he has a lot of positional uh, versatility as a defender. And I think that's going to be really intriguing to see what they do with it because as well as Rudy Gay has played, 
he's played very well in within his role on defense. Yes. You know, they're putting him on bigger wings, sometimes even centers, um, and they're really avoiding him being switched onto guards, you know, because when he's switched onto guards, smaller players, it's a blow by every time. So I think that's going to be really interesting to see his his path, you know, his his development, because the biggest thing for me is his body language. Last season, when he was in the NBA, but on the bench, you know, head hung, disinterested, um, shoulders slumped when he got into games, half effort, um, you know, just looked sorry for himself. And this year, that has not been the case. He's looked fully engaged on the bench. When he's in the game, he's running hard. And I think that's going to be the biggest difference for him is like showing that he wants it. Because nobody's going to give him minutes, and, and especially Pop isn't isn't going to, you know, because he doesn't feel sorry for anybody. You got to go earn those minutes. So I want to see him in the game, uh, and hopefully he can earn those minutes because he's a guy who they took 19th overall. You know, you want to see that guy in a game by his second season. You know, you want to see him within the regular rotation. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think you, you bring up a great point too. Like he is the guy who is if, if on the roster right now. If you're looking at somebody who's going to be like a four or forward sized. I mean, he's the guy, uh, or at least the guy that you envision can can do that. And especially with a guy who's, you know, nearly a lottery pick. Um, like, I, I think he's the second youngest player on the team, other than Devin, if I remember correctly. It's him or Trey Jones. Um, yeah, yeah, you're but, right. Yeah, and uh, so yeah, I, I think the progress has been interesting, and I, I I hope that he gets some more run down the stretch. Which is that's also part of the reason that I was wondering if they trade Rudy because that would give more opportunity for Luca to play, but uh, we'll see how that works out. Uh, I don't envision the Spurs doing uh, the Al Horford uh, ordeal with, with Rudy Gay. So <laughs> it's not, no, I don't think so was, either. <laughs> that was some oh, man. That was some major shit. I have, I have a lot of thoughts on that too, but um, I'll turn it over to you too, man. Do you have uh, any questions or thoughts on the Pacers that you want to hit on? Yeah. So, I mean, I haven't watched a ton of Pacers basketball. I've been very Spurs centric. I've watched a lot yeah. of thunder. Um, I've watched uh, a lot of Rockets, even though they've been bad. Um, I, I want to know why have the Pacers not lived up to expectations? Because I really don't know all that much about the Pacers. I'm a big fan of Sabonis. I've liked watching him when they're on national TV, which isn't you know all that often. Um, but w- what has been the biggest issue with the Pacers? I think they have a losing record right now, right? So what's up with yeah. them? Yeah, so they are 21 and 25 right now. Um, it's there's there's a lot of a lot of things that go into it. They started off the year. Eight and four with Victor Oladipo on the team, um, and then they made the trade for Karras, and that totally changed things up for them because Karras Vert obviously, I mean, you tested positive for having cancer. I guess you don't test positive; you just get you. They find out that you have cancer. Um, yeah. Luckily, I mean, he's he's healthy now. Uh, it is completely cancer free, uh, which is great. I mean, the, the way that that worked out is like. It, it's, it's it's awesome how that worked out because I just imagine like wow what if he hadn't what if he hadn't been traded like it's it's kind of wild to think about but uh, just in, in strictly in basketball terms you go from having Victor Oladipo who was playing at a fairly high level with the Pacers to start the year um, to having to move guys off the bench which totally threw the entire rotation out of loop but also I mean you just lose a ton of gravity uh, and shot making um, and just. You know, it changes the way that the defense can play against you because instead of Victor Oladipo being able to attack attack off the catch or um, you know be a real factor as a playmaker or just the, even as defense too, um, you go from that to having. Uh, I mean, Justin Holiday is a fantastic player. I, I really enjoy Justin Holiday, but like he's not going to get treated the same by a defense. And people really start. I mean, teams started really to hone in on. Uh, the Sabonis Brogdon two man game, and it, they both took a toll from it. Um, like both of them saw their numbers slip quite a bit. Uh, their efficiency dropped. They just 
had a lot of trouble um, trying to deal with that uh, from an offensive standpoint. And then defensively, I mean, I, I think part of it too is just the team doesn't have a forward. Like they go from Karis LeVert is their, their biggest wing at, at six, six to, to having a center. Um, they just don't have anybody who's between six, six and, and like six ten that can defend a forward. And it, it shows it's really not great. And especially with the branded defense that they're playing right now, um, like, I, I think that's been part of the biggest um, issue for me. Not even that I think it's wrong. Like, it's hard to gauge, like we've, we, we, we talked about not too long ago, about, like, how do you change something up in the middle of the season, especially this season? Um, like, the, uh, the defense that, that they implemented to run this year, I mean, they had, I'm sure Nate Bjorkman envisioned having TJ Warren and Victor Oladipo for it, and he's gotten, you know, 12 games out of that. Uh, and it really only eight games because TJ played all in games that, that Victor played. So you have eight games of actually getting to run what you want to run with the personnel you thought you were going to have. That completely changes up. You, I mean, as you know, with covering the Spurs, I mean, they've every team's barely practiced like 10 times this year. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, so you, you can't just change that stuff up in the middle of the game. Um, so it, it like I, I try and be a little bit uh, like have some leeway with, with how, how coaching and everything's going, but um, it's just been odd because the Pacers went from being one of the most conservative defensive teams in the league, just really funneling everything to their rim protector to playing like a, a pretty aggressive blitzing trapping style um, that leaves a lot to be desired in some regards. Like when Miles Turner is uh, off the floor, the defense is terrible. And it's not because Sabonis is a bad defender. Like, he's not a great defender by any means, but it's more the perimeter defense is, is just really bad. Uh, and their their communication isn't very good. Um, they're not good at rotating on the weak side, so they have a lot of stuff open up um, that would be pretty simple either way. Um, I mean, that would be pretty simple if, if, if Miles was there. Because Miles, I mean, he, he's had a borderline defensive player of the year campaign. I'd probably have him second right now because Rudy's just been so good. Um but like a lot of his numbers are coming out of just being put under pressure to clean up so much on the back end. Um, so I, I don't know how different things would really look if TJ was here um, and healthier if Victor was still on the team. But I mean, it looked a lot better when Victor was there to be completely honest, cause he's good at rotating weak side or, or rotating as a low man. The offense has been a lot better though. And sorry, I, I, I didn't mean to keep going, but like the offense has been a lot better. Uh, I would say that it's been a lot more dynamic than last year. Um, I think that the offensive rating is like they're they're 16th in offensive rating right now, but I think it's a little bit misguided or misleading because that entire stretch without having Karis or Victor like really um, sank what the offense looked like. Um, but it's been it's been better lately. But sorry, go go ahead. Oh no, sorry. I I just uh, I you cut out for sorry, a second, dude. so I wasn't sure if if it was oh, like shoot, quiet or, or you asked me a question or something. My bad. <laughs> my bad, man. <laughs> No, you're good. Um, but I did have one more. I had another question. I have a few questions for you, but one of the questions that I was most interested in asking you is what is the plan moving forward? I mean, um, can this Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis pairing really work out? Is, is there talk that, you know, they're thinking about moving on from Turner? And, and if they did, what would a package, you know, what kind of package would, would be required to, to take Turner out of Indiana? Yeah, that's a great question, man. I uh, it's something because yeah, this somebody asked me that in the comments. Asked us that in the comments too. Um, I am not entirely sure. Like, I think in terms of package, I have an idea of what it would be like, but in terms of actually breaking it up, um, 
I know Kevin Pritchard, who's the, the president of basketball ops for Indiana, has talked about really wanting to see this group play together in the playoffs. TJ Warren is not going to play in the playoffs, so we're not going to see that happen. I uh, I didn't think either of them were going to get moved at the trade deadline just because, I mean, uh, they'd already made the move for Karras. They're normally a pretty conservative organization. Like, they actually do make a lot of trades. Um, but considering that they'd already made that one, I, I didn't think that they were going to make another. Um, so I, I do think that by the trade deadline next year, they're going to be split apart, though. I, I don't know which guy's going to be moved. Um I think you could make a lot of cases for either guy to be the one who gets moved. I know a lot of the conversation hinges around Miles. Um, I actually think in some regards he can be kind of underrated around the league. And I'm sure Boston fans feel the other way. Um, <laughs> they, they always tend to, to vocalize that. But, uh, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's just an interesting dichotomy uh, because with Domas, he does a ton for the offense that – you can't really replace, um, or you'd have to really restructure some of the roster. But then with Miles, I mean, you have to replace so much and, and rework things defensively if he's not there. Um, I, I think, honestly, I mean, the plan would it, – it's pretty clear that the plan is not to keep them together, in my mind, as much as they're not going to say it. Um, I mean, they went out and actively tried to, to move one of them for Gordon Hayward in the offseason. So – I think it shows that they – not that they don't have confidence in them, but they, they want to get different looks. They want to uh, progress to a something that's a little bit better. It's not even that they've been bad together, but it just – like there's been an, an issue over – and I'm sure we'll see it against the Spurs because the Spurs play so small compared to what the Pacers do. Like they're going to probably end up going to one big down the stretch, and that's something that they've been doing most of the year, which is A, frustrating because – I would rather see them lose with the Turner Sabonis pairing closing games than win with one of them because I don't want an excuse to keep paying somebody $18 million to come off the bench or to be on the bench in the in, in a closing lineup because that's just bad money. Is, is the guy on um, the bench in the closing lineups Turner? Okay, yeah. I, I um, thought so. It depends on the there was yeah, there was a stretch where Turner was the guy who was closing games. It's been kind of either war, and they've played the, they've played together a little bit more down the stretch lately. But that's been like slightly frustrating, uh, especially too because like um, I, I think part of the it, it's 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 tough because a lot gets put on Miles being the not Miles uh, a lot gets put on Domas being the issue. Like his defensive metrics this year are, are awful, and a lot of it's just because like I mentioned earlier, like the perimeter defense is not good. He's not even playing as the backline rim protector. Like he's used to to pressure and blitz a lot. Um, it go up at, at the level of the screen. So it's not even that he's getting blown by. It's like a swing swing pass happens. There's nobody back door or it's a late contest or it's just not a, I mean, some kind something goes wrong with the coverage and then it's wide open. So of course the defense sucks, but it's, it's not really on, on Sabonis. It's just overall, like the, the defense is not there together and it's harder with Domas on the court, but it's not that he's playing his position wrong or anything. Um, so there's just a giant thing between fans. Like it's it's actually really frustrating because you can't really talk about one center or the other without hearing it from uh from the stan accounts uh, that oh, you like dislike. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's a it's a it's a whole thing. We we had that with uh, with Derek versus Dejounte. Um, right after oh, Derek man. broke out in the playoffs against Denver, people were like, "Oh, well, you can move on from Dejounte now." You don't need him, and and like a lot of analysts were like, you could play him at the same time. Yeah, you like could play him at the same time, and people like, no way, it can't happen. That's not going to happen. And then now they're playing together, and obviously the Spurs aren't like a contender or anything, but the defense certainly looks a lot better. I think that's one of the main reasons that the Spurs, along with Pirtle, 
um, are, are a top 10 defense by defensive rating this season. I mean, I, I just don't think there was ever a scenario which they couldn't play together, but the, the stand accounts, you know, like Derek season or DeJounte goat, like <laughs> yeah. they were, they were going hard. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, no. So ultimate answer, I think, uh, I do think they'll get moved that they'll be broken up. Um, before the playoffs next year um, or by the trade deadline next year, I think that's just my opinion. That's, that's speculation. Um, but I also think that the front office, like in trying to make moves, you know, it, it shows that they're probably going to move on from them. Um, but we'll see, man, anything could change. Uh, so you said, yeah, what, what was your last question? Yeah. The last question is I'm just looking at the roster. I mean, it, it looks like pretty talented from top to bottom. And I feel like a lot of the injuries and, um, you know, just people in and out of the lineup has kept them from playing together, obviously. But then even if they get to play together, like what would a lineup of, of Warren and Karis LaVert and uh, Sabonis and uh, what's his name? I forgot his name right now. Uh, Turner. What, like what Brogdon and Turner, like how does that work? Like that seems like so many uh, mouths to feed. Like I, I, how does that work? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's an interesting question. And it's something I've asked, asked myself a lot too. Um, and we're seeing a little bit of that now. Like Karis LeVert, um, I do think is I, ideally probably the lead ball handler um, because he's the guy with the most shake. Like Malcolm is, uh, he's a, he's definitely more of a combo guard than a lead guard. Um, like he can do a lot of really good stuff off ball that has been really nice for him. Like his efficiency has been awesome since Karis LeVert came back because he's, um, he, his catch and shoot numbers have been great. He's just getting to do a lot more off ball than he had been previously. Um, and he's been a little bit overtaxed having to, uh, to, to do otherwise. Um, so I think Karras is probably the guy who's going to carry the ball most. I don't know how that works with, with TJ Warren. Um, like I think, like you mentioned, like that's five guys who you really have to try and not force shots to, but like, those are five guys who are all capable of taking double digit shots in a game. Um, I think what it ultimately ends up, is you play less of your bench or you, you give less minutes to some of your bench and you do a lot more of like splitting lineups. So kind of like what, what Utah does in, uh, I don't know how much you've seen of the jazz, but like they'll pull Mike Conley and Rudy Gobert. Like the, they're, they're the first guys out normally. And uh, Jordan Clarkson and Derek favors will come in and, or I mean, Joe Ingles and Derek favors will come in. So then you, you're splitting some of the starters up to, to maybe deviate how some of the usage and shots are going. I think that's where it kind of leans with the Pacers. But again, I mean, we haven't seen it yet. And it's been actually uh, a little bit shaky because they have really struggled with getting Miles Turner looks. Like he's only been taking like seven shots a game over the last. Oh, Isaiah Thomas uh, is signing a 10-day deal with the New Orleans Pelicans. That's out of nowhere. Oh, that's so strange. That's really going to help their defense. Yeah, that's a, that's um, a weird move for sure. That's does not yeah, make a I'm lot of really sense. I'm not sure I understand that one. Yeah, but – uh yeah, no, I guess I would say it's it's going to be a work in progress, but a lot of uh, working guys in and out of bench lineups, I think. And then, and then, if I can't ask you one more question, what do you what do you expect tonight? I mean, do you think the Pacers are probably going to win this one, or do you feel like the Spurs could maybe run away with this? Or I mean, I'm looking at it, I'm not even really sure what to expect. These teams are just both, at least from what I can gather, they're both pretty inconsistent. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good way to put it. Um, they have a really tough matchup with the Hornets, and they're coming. They've not been good on back to backs, um, so I'm interested to see what they look like coming out of a back to back tomorrow against the Spurs. Um, I do think that 
I mean, I think the Spurs are a little bit better than the Pacers right now. Like, they've been playing better basketball. I know the Spurs have been a little bit down. Their game was super close yesterday. I mean, it could have gone one way or the other. Um, I, I think that they'll click. Um, I know that the Pacers are trying to find that too, but they have trouble guarding big wings. And not that uh, San Antonio necessarily has anybody who's a big wing, but I don't know who's defending DeMar DeRozan. I mean, probably Malcolm Brogdon. Um, and that's asking a lot for him because, I mean, DeMar is still really damn good. Um, I don't know who's going to be uh, – I mean, the way that they're going to def- have to defend on the perimeter going up against essentially a four-guard lineup, um, that's going to be a really tough matchup for a lot of the guys on the team. So I'm interested to see how that works out as well. Um, I don't know. I think I would lean probably Spurs, but it's it's like 50-50 for me because both these teams are in pretty similar spots uh, over like the last month of basketball. That's fair. That's fair. Um, yeah, anything else you want to ask me or anything else you want to talk about, I'm totally game for. Yeah, for sure. So we got a couple questions. Shravan, I will bring you up in uh, in just a minute. But from uh, from from Damien, um, ideally, who fits best along Sabonis in the front court? So I'll take. I mean, I guess any any player. Um, I mean, the idea of somebody to fit next to Sabonis, like if if you have Sabonis at the five, and Miles Turner is is off the team, or you're you're trading him. I mean, I think presumably the best fit alongside Sabonis is like. Um, maybe a slightly better version of Jeremy Grant or more of a, maybe that's wrong. I put it more of a uh, defensive version of Jeremy Grant. Like Jeremy Grant's a good defender, but like somebody who brings a little bit more as a rim protector, like maybe uh, like Robert Covington was somebody who I thought maybe the Pacers could have gone out to try and get last year instead of the Rockets going after him. Um, I think you could look at like, um, man, like if Christian Wood was a slightly better shot blocker, he's like a guy that I think of like, uh, if they were to like, I know a lot of circle around um, PJ Washington um, potentially. Like that was part of uh, th- that wasn't part of like a rumor deal or anything. But I know um, a lot has been cert- like the Hornets are very interested in Miles Turner. Um, I don't think that they're going to be willing to part with PJ Washington. I-, I mean, Miles Turner is a better player than PJ, and he might end up being a better player in his career than PJ becomes. But in terms of actual fit and what he would do, like he's a guy who can shoot the three, space the floor guard two or three positions pretty well. Um, I think PJ would make a lot of sense. Uh, but I still just think like, I actually lean sometimes towards, I would rather trade Sabonis to be completely honest. Uh, because I think as good as he is, I just think you have to be elite on one side of the ball. If you really want to be a contender and then just be, you know, top 10, top 12 in the other. Um, I think if you play miles at the five and you're able to get another ball handler and you play TJ Warren at the four, um, I think that maybe could be more dynamic than a Sabonis-led team, but I also don't think the organization is going to trade Sabonis, to be completely honest. But, um, yeah, I think I would say P.J. Washington would be right up there. Um, and, yes, they so they run um, – essentially he plays the four on defense and the five on offense. Um, it's kind of, like, awkward the way that – just I think that's the best way to describe the Sabonis pairing. It's really awkward. It's not as bad as I think people think, like on uh, on balance, like I think they're a net positive together. Um, but overall, it's just when, when you have to play the Bucks or you have to play um, like Boston last year when they had four wings who could all handle um, or you're playing Miami, like it shows that, that it's just a very awkward pairing. Um, so I'm interested to see how they, they end up playing things out with that. I, I Again, I, I don't think that they're going to be together for, for more than the next year. Um, and then we're going to bring up Shravan really quick to ask a question. And unless anybody has questions after that, we will close out. 
Hey, hey what's up, Siobhan? How are you doing, man? I'm doing good. I have a question for you. I've seen some few Pacers games over the past few weeks. It seems they are very good at blowing leads. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. They uh, so it's actually really funny because last year um, they were affectionately called the third quarter in the third quarter because they always blew leads in the third quarter. Um, I think in watching the games, like watching against Miami, part of it was they took out Miles, um, and or more importantly, like Goga Bataza was playing great yesterday. I mean, two days ago. Um, and I, I kind of questioned bringing Sabonis back in when they did because he had, I think, some kind of leg contusion. I, I'm not actually entirely sure that he's playing tonight um, I think against the Hornets. they blew the Lakers game the same way. They had to keep Miles on, but they bring Sabonis and then bring Miles back until the late end of the game, and they blew the game too. Yes, yeah, yeah, no, they've been really bad with it. I think a lot of it is they don't have somebody who they can rely on to get a shot at the end of the game, which is a really reductive way to bring it down. But it's, it's also true. Like um, my biggest thing with, with Sabonis right now, he's, he's really damn good. Like he's a deserving two-time all-star. I don't really care a whole ton about what Nate Duncan has to say about that. Um, <laughs> like he, he's, he's a good player. He does a lot of good things for the team. He's not just a black hole. I actually think he can sometimes be, not aggressive enough in getting his own shot. But part of the problem is that he doesn't have a go-to shot. Um, like, you look at a guy like, uh, I mean, Tim Duncan could go to, to that that banker uh, from, from 15 feet out. Um, Dirk had the one-legged fadeaway. Domas doesn't and, – and, again, those are all-time great players, so it's different. But, like, Domas doesn't have, like, one move that you're really confident in will get him a basket. And you can tell, like, he – um, he against a really good post defender or, or a really solid double team, um, he can struggle to get his own shot. Um, he's he doesn't have a lot of lift or verticality, which is so. If if, if you can stick his first two or three moves in the post, you, you force him to pass out or you force him into a really tough shot. Um, so I'm looking for that from him. And then with Malcolm Brogdon, I'll, I'll, it's been a little bit better lately, but like he just gasses out at the end of the game because they're playing him like 35 minutes a game, more than that in some scenarios. Uh, it's been better lately, but um, he's he's somebody who I I mean he's better at if he's having an action run for him instead of running the action himself. You're more confident, and it's something that Noah and I talked about a little bit earlier. And like you know who is who's running the offense, or ideally who's running the offense, and I think. You definitely see the lack of TJ Warren here because TJ Warren was the guy last year who was taking shots to close games. Um, he was like, I mean, he's one of the best play finishers in the NBA, and you can see how much the team misses him both on defense, just from his his size and his ability to not get you know totally blown away at the point of attack. Um, but I mean, his offense is is seriously missed on this team. So I think that's where I would lean. Yeah, one more thing is that, yeah, they don't have a good... Oh, and the defense is terrible. I'll, I'll say yeah. that, too. The defense is absolutely terrible. Like, what is... I, I think my observation is that they can't score, and the opposite teams keeps on scoring, so the leads evaporate fast. And they don't have anything they can do. And because uh, Domas at 5 doesn't work defensively at all. I don't know what you do about it. I don't think it can work, like, based on what I've seen. So I think it's less on um, – this is something that I've been coming around on a little bit more because people ask me about that a lot. Like, I think it's less that Domas at the five doesn't work. I mean, I think he can be fine as a – he's not a rim protector. Like, that's that's clear. But I think, as we've seen with Nikola Jokic, like, I think that is – Domas is capable of doing that. He's been really active at the level. 
He's got good hands. He actually leads the team in steals over the last month. Um, a lot of people have made up how much TJ – again, steals are not everything, but just the point being, he's gotten really good at reading passing lanes, um, doing stuff like that. But the problem is the, the rest of the guys on the court are not communicating well together. Um, they don't rotate well on the back end. Like I think – and it's something more that I've picked up on over the last year as I've gotten a little bit better with on trying to understand defense. Like, um, the problem is, so like, think of it like this, Siobhan. So you have, um, a lot of times if, if a ball, like picture what's going to happen tomorrow when they play the Spurs. So DeMar DeRozan's coming off a high pick and roll. Um, center's going to slip and Domas and let's say it's Justin Holiday trap DeMar DeRozan. Well, DeMar's going to skip, skip the pass uh, to the cross corner. And that's going to swing out again. And there's going to be a draft to the rim. There's going to be some kind of miscommunication on the back end more often than not. Because Jeremy Lamb is, is not good at, at closeouts. Um, like, there's just a lot of guys on the team who are not good at, at reading things correctly. Like, even Karis LeVert is not a good off-ball defender right now. And you see that. So, like, if – let's say if, if, if Domas is in uh, – if they're running, like if – if they get run in pick and roll and they don't trap – and Domas sinks um, or drops, I should say. Uh, they normally do like a soft drop instead of a hard drop. Um, and a guy is supposed to rotate from the weak side to, to roll over, and I mean, to, to tag the roller. So let's say Jakob is coming down the lane. Domas cannot cover the guy who is handling the ball and also cover Jakob. So let's say Doug McDermott is on the weak side. He has to collapse down and tag yeah. Jakob. And that stuff doesn't happen routinely enough. Like so often that, that gets blown up. And but isn't the, the that basic isn't... help defense, like tagging the roller? Yeah, yeah, like exactly. Like that's part of the problem. It's it's basic stuff, and they are routinely blowing it. And I think it's difficult because they didn't used to do as much of that last year because, like, Miles is good enough that he can play on an island by himself. Um, yeah. Like he can, he can cover a two on one pretty damn effectively mm-hmm. um, compared to just about anyone. So it's, I think part of it is, yes, Domas is very limited as a defender, but I would also say they just don't put him in a good position and the guys behind him don't do a good enough job covering for him to put him in a right position. Yeah, I think you should be able to scheme that tagging the roller so that you give up above the, above the break threes, like just tag the roller and then the helping the helper, that will go to the corner and just give up above, above, the, above the break threes and live. I think... That can be a viable strategy. Like, give up open shots, but at least it's about the break. Yeah, no, I agree. And I, I think that's something that I'm hoping that they'll improve on. But I, I feel like part of that's going to be having to overturn part of the roster because the defensive communication is just so bad. Um, I, don't, I, don't, I don't really know a, a total answer for it. Um, but I know that I would like to see it be better because I'm, it's just it's weird seeing the Pacers uh, be bad at defense. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm used to seeing them struggle offensively late in game, but seeing them uh, give up these massive runs to close a game is just—it's uh, weird. It's—it's—it's it's, uh, it's very different. Yeah, I think they wanted to have a shift offensively. That's why they didn't go with Nate McMillan. But now your offense is not as good, and your defense is worse, and <laughs> we are seeing the results. Like in the first month, I never expected the Pacers would drop this far after the first month. So it's actually kind of funny because I think uh, – sorry, and I, I got to get out of here soon. But I think uh, – like I wish that they had not started off 8-4 and four because I think it gave people the wrong impression of the team. Um, like I was under the impression that Vic was going to be traded by the trade deadline. He obviously got traded a lot earlier than that. Um, 
I mean, I I knew this was going to be a, a season where they probably took a step back to to take a step forward. Um, I, I think in some of the ways, I haven't really expected it to to happen the way that, that it has. But like, I mean, with TJ Warren here, that's probably five or six wins. Like, just in, in, again, that's a reductive way of looking at it. But like, he is a big piece of why the team has really struggled this year. Um, the the rest of the roster just really doesn't make sense without him on the team. He's the only guy who is, you know, six eight or six nine can guard guys that size, um, and they really miss his shot making. Um, Shravan, I appreciate you coming up. I have a uh, one one more question that I got to take, um, and then I got to get out of here. Um, from Damian, uh, what's up with Goga? How are you feeling about him? Goga has been really good uh, over the last probably two or three weeks. He is um, he's still not perfect. He fouls a lot because he's a young big and he's still learning that. Uh, I don't even think he's played – let me look up right now. I don't think he's played a 1,000 minutes in his career yet. It was uh, really frustrating to me because people were calling him a bust um, when he was not playing. Like, he didn't play the first, like, 20 games. It was somewhere in there. And that was probably more like 10 or 15 games. I was exaggerating a little bit, to to, to be honest. But, like, he's uh, his confidence has grown a ton. He's become a real rim protector, like, not just, like – a quasi rim protector. Like he's, le- he's been a legit deterrent at the rim. He's been really good at, uh, he's, he's gotten a lot better at not getting out of position when blocking a shot. Um, and more importantly, like he's starting to find himself offensively. He's been really good as a role man. Um, he's been finishing at the rim. Well, and now over the last, let me get it. So since, uh, since March 12th, he's shooting 33% from three doesn't sound crazy or anything, but he's taken, at least a three or more in all 11 games except for one. And he's just been confident doing it. He's it, it, It's it's starting to fall. Um, like he's hit a three and four of the last five. Um, I'm just really excited about where he always going. But I think he, he, in a way, he actually makes it even murkier with, with the Turner Sabonis pairing because like he's at a point now where he's a legit rotation player. Like he's somebody who should be playing 10 to 15 minutes a game because A, he's talented enough. And B, he's a young player who was a first-round pick that you got to play. Um, I appreciate you guys for all the questions. Noah, uh, thank you thank you for sitting in here still and listening, man. Uh, where can people find you at, or is there anything you want to plug before you get out of here? Yeah, no, first, thank you for having me in here. I had a blast talking to you about Pacers, Spurs. Yeah, me too, um, But, yeah, people can find me on Twitter at N underscore Magaro. That's M-A-G-A-R-O. Uh, I have a YouTube channel where I break down Spurs stuff, uh, do some Spurs new stuff there. It's just my name, Noah Magaro George. And then I host uh, At The Line Podcast with Mac Pena and Ty Yeager. You can find that anywhere you listen to podcasts. But again, thank you so much for having me. I had a blast, and uh, hopefully we can do this again sometime. Yeah, man, definitely. I'd, I'd love to. Uh, this will be up on the Indie Cornrows pod feed tomorrow, so I'll, I'll be sure to tag you and everything. Appreciate it. Cool. Sounds good. All right, have a good one, man. See ya.